The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello, my friends. Welcome to this, another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris, and his name is John Daigle. We're back. Straight off of a red eye, Daigle. Literally straight off of a red eye. How do you feel? I feel actually pretty good. Back from FSGA, obviously. Got to see a lot of friends around the industry. It's unfortunate we came back empty-handed, and I'm kind of hoarse from the week. But beyond that, uh, it went really well, I believe. Well, empty-handed from the show, this podcast, did win the magazine awards. We so won the awards, yes. out there. And we still have an FSWA nod. We for, Not only for the live draft we did, but also for this podcast. So there's still hope, unless the fantasy footballers get involved again, in which case <laughs> we don't have any chance at all. Oh, those fantasy – and Field Yates. How dare you, Field Yates? Just... I will say, though, it, it was good, though. It was just a weird year because since this was the first year, it was actually a sports betting conference as well. Right. Uh, everyone only had time really to talk with one another for like 15 minutes because there were so many people there. Huh. So that's good because our industry's growing – but also not good because, like, if I just want to kind of hang out with the same people, it's well, really hard now. You're also taking a very professional approach to answering my question. Give me a little dirt here, Daigle. I mean, you were there for about three days mm-hmm. almost. Um, how's our young Padawan in Harlots <laughs> doing out there? So I actually spent the most time, oddly enough, with Pat and Ian. I, I mixed in everyone else. But uh, Ian and I found out a lot of things about one another. You can, uh-huh. you can ask him when he comes back. Like We were obsessed about some things the other one does because uh-huh. we live life just completely different. Completely different. I know that Ian has not spent, and I'm the same way, much time in casinos playing table games. Right. Um, <laughs> right. I, just tell me this, and I won't say where he was at the first night you arrived. Did it go up from there or down from there? Uh it's a little slower when he's at the table, but the dealers are usually pretty kind. Okay. Um, and I've never seen someone eat more wings in my life. Love it. Just no other meal outside of wings. Can't wait to get him on here and ask him about you. Ask him about the tomato soup, by the way. The tomato <laughs> soup was the best I've ever had in my life. <laughs> uh, that'd be great. In fact, Ian and actually Roto Pat will be here next week. We'll do a number of videos in one of the big fancy studios. Yeah. Um, big show. Six or seven videos, maybe even more than that. So we'll roll those out in podcasts and obviously videos up on Roto World as well. Um, Dale, important weekend. We have the championship games, two of them. We'll hit on those last. We'll start off with some news. And why don't we start off with a news that impacted me, to be perfectly honest with mm-hmm. you. And it started off with Luke Keekley announcing his retirement after eight seasons in the NFL. You know, there's only one way to play this game since I was a little kid is, is to play fast and play physical and play strong. And at this point, I don't know if I'm able to do that anymore. And that's the part that is the most difficult is I still want to play, but I don't think it's the right decision. So. thought about it for a long time and I think now is an opportunity for me to step away with 
with, with what's going on here. I think we've got a really good linebacker room. I think Shaq and those guys are going to step and do a tremendous job. Seven-time Pro Bowler Luke Kuechly, five-time All-Pro, 2012 Defensive Rookie of the Year, 2013 Defensive Player of the Year. Daigle, you know, podcasting, radio, even video, uh, you never want dead air. I felt dead air was super important in that message, in that quote that Luke Kuechly, um, you know, displayed because it really shows you the emotion and the impact that he's had on this game and the game's had on him as well. This happened while we were all sitting around a table uh, in Vegas, and it was quite shocking to everyone. 28 years old, uh, had played in the year in the league eight years, 63 million over that time, but still so young and at the top of his game, but obviously the multiple concussions are what finally did him in. Uh, but that was his style of play. Yeah. It, was, it was just that kind of uh, everything all out to the wall. Like NFL Next Gen Stats charted him with the most tackles since he came to the league that covered 20-plus yards from the ball touching a skill player to the tackle. And that kind of highlights the way he played, horizontal, sideline to sideline. Just uh, in the time and an era that needed speedy linebackers like that, they were a necessity in the middle of the field, he is the Hall of Famer for that class. Hmm. Sort of, a, in my opinion, an upgrade on Patrick Willis, who was a similar type of player and walked away with, a, with an injury, a style like that. Yeah. Um, look, linebackers should not succeed really in the NFL right now mm-hmm. because of – how you mentioned it, offenses are multiple, they're versatile, they spread out, they force you to you know, cover every single blade of grass. But what always stood out to me was, and I'm not a huge fan of those NFL top 100 lists every single year, sure. but what all um, opposing offenses, offensive linemen, quarterback, centers, whoever, would just talk about how Luke Keekley would call out 40% of their plays before they happened. And you saw it so often where he would get people in the right spot but then him from the backside working and covering so much ground and still making tackles in the backfield. Um, obviously, grew up a Panthers fan. Obviously, a long portion of Luke Keekley's career, I was very invested in the Panthers. Um, I mean, this is super meaningful, obviously, for that roster, but just for this type of player. And you mentioned the concussions. I believe he had three known ones in three years. Mm-hmm. And during that time, I mean, there was even the clip that we saw of him. It was in a spotlight game where he was crying when coming off the field after suffering another concussion. I know he did as much homework as possible and invested in this collar that he would wear on the field that was like with woodpeckers um, to mimic that science. Oh, okay. Um, and I, I guess it, it worked in some ways because we haven't seen one in the past couple of years. But to what he said, and I don't have the exact quote, it's obvious he just doesn't feel like he can play the game at the same level he had played it. And rather than string along this career and keep earning money and decline in play, I think he wants people to remember the best Luke Keekley out there. And I think that's what we will always remember. Oh, yeah. And, and he's walking away in his prime still. Like yeah. When he was healthy, uh, again, did not miss a snap in 43 out of 58 games since he was active in 2016. Obviously, the issue is the games he was not active for because of these injuries. But it, it reminds me, I don't know, it could just be the, the, the skin color, but the comparison is Sean Lee for me, just because mm. of a general in the middle of the field 
who was a rare linebacker who actually knew every single coverage. And that's what Keekley did. He knew every single coverage. He knew every single offense he was facing. And much like Sean Lee, though, over the end of his career, tailed off a lot and just wanted to play, wanted to be the balls-to-the-wall kind of linebacker that Keekley was, but could not because of injuries. Whereas Keekley's now, as we know, is stepping away. Reminds me a lot of Dan Morgan. Do you remember that? Yeah, name? of course. Yeah. Uh, Dan Morgan obviously played linebacker for the Panthers as well. Had like 25 tackles in the Super Bowl that the Panthers lost when he was in the charge of the middle of that defense. Um, but he had to step away due to injuries as well. Only eight years with the Panthers. Um, but he got the right time. I mean, Dan Morgan now is basically one step away from being an NFL general manager, was a important part of the Seattle Seahawks front office. Now is an important part, I believe, of the Buffalo Bills mm-hmm. front office. Um, it's, it's clear that Keekley's going to go somewhere with football. I, I am fascinated to see what direction that goes. But this isn't the first time we've seen lately, and you mentioned Patrick Willis. We can throw out Chris Borland. Remember that name from a few years ago with the 49ers linebacker. Really Andrew Luck. Retired at 29 this year. Rob Gronkowski, 29 years old. Doug Baldwin at 30 years old. Um, these are all within the last year, Daigle. Is this, this is the better way of asking that question. What's just your reaction to seeing four important names, three players that in some ways had a major impact on their positions in the NFL as we know it, yet three of them are walking away? I asked that this morning, why is it becoming easier? And I'm happy it's becoming easier because they're obviously heading off to much safer and better lives. But it's clearly become easier for players on their second contract pretty much Mm -hmm. to walk away healthy at a much younger age. Um, Or not healthy, but, you know, healthier than they would be if they continued playing. So, yeah, that's kind of still the rhetorical question I'm asking myself is why is that? Um, The linebacker position, if we're just mentioning Willis and Borland and Keekley. We can look into that a little more. Maybe it's a little harder nowadays, mm-hmm. uh, given the nutrition and athleticism of offensive linemen, because they just continue growing and getting faster and stronger. And now linebackers are facing off against bigger guys. But beyond that, you know, we are seeing, like you said, the younger guys walk away. And I'm not sure. Do you have a thought on it? Well, I, I think, one, there's just more information. You know, we, we, we know so much more about head injuries. Sure. We know so much more about injuries in general. We've seen players who played at a super high level for years and years and years in the 80s and the 90s and how that's impacted them physically yeah. now. Um, I also think, you know, they're making more money now, right? And so rather than feeling that was my easy one, yeah. like they need to play for over a decade, you know, if, the, if they get their chicken in line, as Marshawn Lynch will the put it. The best line to come from the week. Um, then... You know, and Luke Keekley is someone all he talks about is going fly fishing and being a simple guy and how he just didn't have cable for the first four years of his career because all he wanted to do was watch film. Sounds like your first four years at NBC. Well, that is <laughs> dang true. He has a girlfriend, though. Um, so, anyways, I mean, this, this, it's – I think a lot of people are going to view it as a negative trend. I, I don't – obviously, it's – there's sadness, and you hear it in his voice and what football means to him. But – in some ways, I think it can be a positive because I feel like players now feel like they have the power to walk away when they want to, and the game doesn't end the game for them. It is, it's the same emotions I went through whenever Andrew Luck walked away. It's, it's crazy, and then you feel sorry, but then again, you're like, but they actually are, like I said, quote-unquote healthier. Like They're yeah. getting better long-term because of this, and we haven't heard from Andrew Luck on his boat around the world since. So hopefully Keekley walks away, but as you said, also I've heard that 
he pretty much any interview he's done, it's literally football and nothing yep. else. So I would imagine he pops back up as a DC or something like that. Luke Keighley was not the only retirement this week. Speaking of long careers, Antonio Gates retired from the NFL after 16 seasons. Um, what a wild and interesting, fascinating career Antonio Gates had. This is a player who never played a down of football in college, was a basketball player who then joined the then San Diego Chargers in 2003, and then by his second season was putting up 13 touchdowns, 10 touchdowns, again, 16 seasons. Daigle, he is number seven all time in receiving touchdowns. Not just the tight end position. I actually didn't know that. All time at any position. That's insane. I mean, we've talked about, obviously, Gronk. We've talked about Tony Gonzalez. We've talked about many, many talented tight ends. And Tony Gates should be up there because he really transitioned the position from just being an inline tight end to someone who's a receiving first player. And I believe he deserves a lot of credit for that. As you said, he played 16 seasons, and per NFL Network's Graham Barfield, he was a tight end one in 13 straight seasons among those 16. Wow. Just insane. And it's crazy because... Like, would he have had as good of rapport with anyone else except Philip Rivers? Like, was <laughs> Philip Rivers really the best quarterback he could have had? Because I think he was, because Philip Rivers in his prime with Antonio Gates, like, there was no better connection, especially in the red zone. And remember, as Gates' uh, career has t- tailed off and he slowly decreased from away from his prime, they still only used him in the red zone, and no one could stop him, even on that uh, the Liz Frank injuries that eventually like ruined his career. But still, no one could stop him inside the 20. It was just a, 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 a miraculous, like an amazing kind of player for that era. Three-time All-Pro, eight-time Pro Bowler. Uh, one more piece of news. Kevin Stefanski, since we last talked, has been hired as Officially the hired, yeah. Cleveland Browns head coach. Um, I think my biggest comment with this hire is, one, it's pretty clear that Paul DePodesta, who has more and more control in this Browns organization since John Dorsey was fired, and actually DePodesta's contract is up right now, so we'll see how much power he actually has moving forward. But this was the hire reportedly that he wanted to make last offseason instead of Freddie Kitchens at head coach. I also wonder if we truly know who Kevin Stefanski is, John Daigle, because now he is finally removing himself from the shadow that is Mike Zimmer and his mindset of how an offense should be run and balanced with his defense. Um, Stefanski is obviously a younger coach, yeah. someone who um, has played with mul- or has coached multiple quarterbacks. Um, what's what's your read on this? First of all, I don't understand why coaches are getting more handsome as we just continue moving along. Like, every coach is going to be hot. We need to all be careful here if, we're, if we don't watch ourselves. Next, though, I would think the, the play-action offense hopefully carries over and makes Baker Mayfield a better player. 8.6 yards per attempt from play-action in his rookie year, 9 yards per attempt this past year, despite all the other struggles he endured. So if Stefanski brings over the same play-action offense he had with the Vikings, and I imagine he would because he's the intelligent type of guy that knows it opens up and allows their quarterback to uh, to see the field better. Yeah. Um, I think it would help Baker. And I would imagine they keep uh, Odell around. I imagine they keep Landry around for one run with these guys. And if so, then we know Baker will probably be a, a by-low cannon in just his third year. Yeah, I mean, you're naming a lot of talented pieces. And Kevin Stefanski is coming from an offense that had Kirk Cousins to Stephon Diggs to Adam Thielen to Dalvin Cook. Um, now you're going to an offense that's Baker Mayfield to Odell Beckham to Jarvis Landry to Nick Chubb. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there is no reason why this offense shouldn't be productive. Um, but 
also in Minnesota, a big hurdle was the change in the offensive line from the 2018 season to the 2019 season. And 2019 still had some issues. We saw that last weekend yeah. uh, when this team was knocked out of the playoffs. It's a question of if that can be changed in one offseason or if the style can also compensate maybe for a lack of above-average talent they, they well, might have in 2020. You did those uh, team need pieces um, in the offseason last yeah. year, and you saw the Vikings. You saw single-handedly. The Vikings really didn't do anything to upgrade their offensive line, and yet they still All map. All spend first-round pick Garrett Bradbury. Okay, that's you know what, you're right. Yeah, I forgot about that one. Uh, I, I meant in free agency, like paying for yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. But either way, they still masked everything. For the most part. I, re I realize it came back to bit them in the end, but they still did a really good job of hiding it and uh, helping Kirk Cousins excel. And so I would, um, I would hope they can do that with Baker Mayfield next year. The other interesting part of this is also whenever you listen to Mike Zimmer, basically the only person he talked about was Gary Kubiak. Mm -hmm. uh, and Gary Kubiak was the one who came in and, I, I mean, we don't know the inner workings of these teams but was really the person that influenced the running game so much, especially with his own blocking. Now, has Stefanski absorbed that in his year with Gary Kubiak, and now he's going to implement that with Nick Chubb? Because if that's the case, that's super dangerous for Nick Chubb right. in terms of how much production we're going to see out of him. It's going to be a lot. Um, again, this is a, a – I just don't know what my full read is on Stefanski right now, but more than anything, what we're hearing is this is just trying to get – everyone to be on the same page in the Browns organization from Dee Podesta to whoever the GM is going to be to the head coach to Jimmy Haslam, the owner, which I, know which I feel like we've heard before. Our friend David. Chris was not happy about what's going on. Yeah. I, I did see the video about that. Uh, but no, it, it starts from the top down. We know this, but at least there is two thirds of the branch in place that are in agreement now. Hey, we mutually wanted to be here. So let's make something special. Uh, it could still be an absolute disaster. We don't know just yet. But I, I like everything that is happening so far uh, and young that's young into this offseason. And we know Freddie Kitchens, like his down flaw, his flaw was the fact he could not prep the team. Like they were the sloppiest team, whether it be flags or game prep, but we heard after the fact that, uh, that the team just wasn't prepared all the way down. Yeah. I would imagine Stefanski, that's a completely different approach from a younger, more intelligent guy. And also, if you trim your beard that well, you definitely, your <laughs> team is prepped. I still cannot get over how just handsome he is. It is crazy. Well, one thing that stood out was the fourth um, not the fourth down, excuse me, the red zone play calling that Freddie Kitchens was had a disaster. was a disaster. Inside the five in particular was a disaster. That should at least improve yeah. under Kevin Stefanski. There are games this weekend, Daigle. Should we talk about them? There are two games this weekend. They're both on Sunday. Let's start off with the Tennessee Titans at the Kansas City Chiefs. This one's at 3.05 Eastern on Sunday. Both games have a seven and a half point spread. Both home teams are favored by seven and a half here. It's the Chiefs with a high total, a very high total of 52 in this game. Daigle, and actually, in both these games, the teams played each other in the regular season. Yep. For the Titans and the Chiefs, that was back in Week 10, with the Titans at home beating Kansas City 35-32. to That was in mid-November. That Week 10 game was also Patrick Mahomes' first one back from his dislocated kneecap. But since that time, from Week 10 on, he ranks number one in QBR against zone coverage and number three in man coverage. And we know the Titans run more man coverage. By point being, how do you stop them? Hmm. Uh, I know... You cannot discount the Titans whatsoever. We, we've done that two weeks in a row now. I took the L on the Patriots. Don't say we. Okay, that's fine. I had the Patriots. I took the L on the Patriots. I thought they couldn't get past the Patriots. They did. Fine. But the Ravens, there's, you did not think no, did they not. could get past the Ravens, yes. And they thumped them. Like, it was, not, it was a no contest. So, 
you can get lucky and make the divisional round. You can't be lucky and make the conference championship. Like, they deserve to be here. And I would imagine if they have a chance, it has to be done through Ryan Tannehill. He can't average 80 passing yards per game in this one, right? Uh, and also, as we know, on the back of Derrick Henry, who leads the league in explosive runs, and we know the Chiefs have allowed the fourth highest rate of runs, 10-plus yards. So, leaning on him, uh, get Tannehill more involved in play action, but it's obviously going to take more pass attempts to keep up. I feel like in order to preview this game, we also need to look back a little bit at the performance in, in Week 10 okay. and, and see what worked then and if that can work again. I mean, that was the first game back for Patrick Mahomes from his dislocated knee. Yep. Um, he had zero rushing attempts in that game. Oh. He, had, he was very immobile. Well, we saw last weekend what was so Completely important healthy. against the Houston Texans. Yep. I believe he had seven carries for 53 yards. There were plenty of more occasions when he was buying himself some time in the pocket uh, because of disruption or because no – Receivers were open down the field. Mm -hmm. That mobility is going to be a major factor here against the Tennessee Titans. Um, the thing, though, is that in that game, the, the Chiefs were up 10-0. Like, this, this was a situation in the first quarter where the, it was going to be a possible Chiefs blowout. But then you had a Chris Jones big play who did not play last week. Right. But then by the end of the first half, it was 13-13. to and it's not like you had a massive Ryan Tannehill game, even though the final score was 35 to 32. Right. Um, it was more than we've seen the last two weeks. He had 181 yards and two touchdowns. Meanwhile, Derrick Henry was 23 carries for 188 yards and two touchdowns. I think in some ways this Titans offense is misunderstood a little bit because I think so many people, and myself included, see Derrick Henry's rushing numbers and it's, oh man, they're a run-first offense. What they really want to do, what their goal has been as of late and what they've been so successful in is passing early, creating a lead, and then for three quarters, Derrick Henry just running over you. And in this game against the Chiefs, that wasn't the case. They were able to come back and win, but in the second half, Derrick Henry had like a 60-plus yard run. He was running over people to get to the first down line. And that's still the mindset and the identity that the Titans carry and I think if they get that early lead in this game, it's one that is winnable. But you have to get the early lead. You do. If the Chiefs get the early lead and they force you out of your element, <clears throat> I understand Ryan Tannehill was the most efficient quarterback and their offense, the most efficient offense since he took over. But you have to get an early lead so you can use Derrick Henry. And if you don't, then it would be a disaster. And like I said, it's, this one's hard to talk about because I don't want to discount the Titans. Like, I really don't, but it just seems – almost impossible uh, especially because last week Chris Jones's absence that one you could tell was felt right Juan Thornhill you didn't really see that though um, from the Texans offense like yes Hopkins went over 100 yards yes Fuller spiked a few big plays and had 89 yards receiving but it was more volume at the end when they were forced to catch up um, it wasn't because they gained a lead because Juan Thornhill was out that lead was because of play calling and the special teams big play right. that helped made that a two and three score game so I think the Chiefs defense is still like the, the big X factor here that we should be talking about more and stuffing Ryan Tannehill hmm. Well, I'll advocate for the Titans then, if you don't want to, um, or if you feel like you can't. I, I'm willing to listen. It's just. <laughs> well, so when you look at DVOA, when you look at where these defenses rank up, and mm -hmm. this is a conversation we've had in Hardits a lot. You know, some people say, like, they're a run-funnel defense because they uh, believe that that's the easiest way to play defense, mm -hmm. is if you stop the pass, then how can a team really beat you on the ground? Well, I believe that the Chiefs, team finished the season as the number six defense in pasty DVOA, but number 29 
and run DDVOA. Right. And we've already seen the formula work here for the Titans against the Chiefs. Right. You know, we've seen it that Derrick Henry can go over 180 yards, and a lot of those aren't happening in the first quarter. They're happening in big chunk plays where, like you mentioned, he leads the league in explosive runs. That is something where it's happened for two weeks straight. And I understand that there are seven-and-a-half-point dogs here, mm -hmm. but they know how they win. They know how they win defensively. And last week they forced a player in Lamar Jackson, who rarely turned the football over all season long to toss two picks, also forced him have a fumble in the pocket, also stopped him on two fourth-and-one scenarios. I understand over a long stretch of the season, 16 games, that those will even out, and you can't rely on that week in and week out. We're not talking 16 games right now. I, I agree. We're talking week-to-week matchups, individual identities of a team. And I think that the Titans know theirs better than anyone in the NFL right now, and it has been winnable these last two weeks. And maybe they also just want to see their coach cut his groin off. So that, <laughs> that could also One final note, and, and here's the question, though. Because 35-32 in Week 10 mm -hmm. combines for 67 points, if my mediocre math is correct. Can the Titans win another game that finishes with a total of 67 points? They can win a game that finishes with a total of 67 points. I think they can. I, I know the defense. I know you mentioned it. The defense has stopped. Uh, and we haven't expected them to make these big plays defensively. But how do you do it against mm. the Chiefs who are fully healthy? Like, it is Well, one note is we have not seen A.J. Brown have a game in the postseason Correct. yet. Correct. He's basically had one or two catches in every single contest. Two catches and 13 yards total in the playoffs, which is crazy. A.J. Brown has the potential at any game this to have a 120-yard performance. If there were ever A.J. Brown game, like this has to be an A.J. Brown game. We also haven't seen really Miko Hardman performances either, and yeah. he had one of the more memorable plays of the season during the last time these two teams played. It was a, a jump pass from the pocket that Patrick Mahomes had, yep. and once Miko Hardman like puts his head down and sprints, he's gone down the sideline, and that happened. So it would be fun because we all know Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill. We all know Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill. If we see some tertiary pieces step up and make big plays because that's the potential is there for that I mean as well. he helped behind the box score remember uh, as they were continuing to mount that comeback he did have big that return. big yeah that fl that flipped the field for them so he's still a part of it but yes it would be fun to see him more involved in the offense um let's pick it you gotta take a pick uh I'm, I'm going Chiefs I'm sorry I don't want to make Titans fans angry I know the YouTube comments are gonna fill up I really I love the Titans I love watching the play. I love that they got here. I just don't know how they stop the offense. I even think they can go point for point, but how do you get that final stop? Like it, Patrick Mahomes really hasn't lost a game in a year that hmm. he's been completely healthy for, even against the Patriots. Like It came down to who had the ball last. I'm picking the Chiefs as well. Okay. Um, Thank you. I mean, that's what the brain says. Yeah. The heart wants to side with. I would love. I love the More Titans. than anything. I love Derrick Henry. Not more than anything. A beach house would be wonderful. Uh, but, house. but for the Titans to go to the Super Bowl, Ryan Tannehill to throw for less than 100 yards, have like the opening drive complete four passes for like 67 yards and sure. a score, then Derek Henry to have 200 yards and win the Super Bowl that way. I would love to flip football on its head this offseason just a little bit. Um, and, that, and that would do it. I love chaos. It's still the most interesting storyline that the quarterback and the running back of this team are free agents at the end of the year. Let's move on to the other game. That is the Green Bay Packers at the San Francisco 49ers. Again, we mentioned both spreads are 7.5 points. This time it's in favor of the home 49ers. Um, 6.40 on Sunday, I should mention that. 
And just like the other game, these two teams matched up this season. This one was in week 12. Yep. San Francisco at home was absolutely dominant. 37-8. to eight. Um, Can the same thing happen this weekend? Dominating. Like, you want to talk about the Titans hanging with the Chiefs the last time. The Packers did not hang whatsoever. A career-low 3.1 yards per attempt from Rodgers. Failed to complete a pass over 10 yards. And the Packers went 1 for 15 on third down. It was an absolute disaster. Oddly enough, only Kirk Cousins, Sam Darnold, David Blau, and Lamar Jackson held the ball longer to the time of throw than Aaron Rodgers is here. But in that game in particular, he ranked top five that week because that was the game plan, was getting rid of the ball as quickly as possible. Uh, I imagine that won't be the game plan actually this time because they, they have to find ways to make splash plays against this defense. And I think they can. They've said everything right. It's weird because we've talked about it all year. The Packers have just kind of flown under the radar quietly. They're saying That's the, a nice way of putting they're it. They're saying the right things. They're doing the right things efficiently. But it's like nothing truly stands out. However, in this particular matchup, when uh, – uh, uh, Fleur, Lafleur, I'm yeah. thinking of the coach, yeah. When Fleur Lafleur came out and he mentioned about how the Seahawks went man on Devontae Adams, and he said the Niners like won't do that, I think they're already prepping for a very unique game plan against mm. special zone coverages. So I am interested to see what they do and what they can do. Mm. Yeah, last time these two teams played, Aaron Rodgers took five sacks, and that game could have been even more. He evaded a number of pressures. Right. Um, I mean, it – to start off, though, it was only 10 to nothing with six minutes left in the first half, but it showed you just how explosive this 49ers team can be. They ended up scoring three minutes in those final six, six excuse me, 13 points in those final six minutes mm-hmm. to make it 23 to nothing at halftime. Um, it just shows you what Kyle Shanahan can do. And we saw this last week with Jimmy Garoppolo, like how many receivers are just creating instant separation along the middle of the field and winning on those short routes that you don't see across the NFL at all times. Like, these are easy throws that the quarterback gets to make, but it's not like every single time the quarterback gets easy throws. And last week he was able to win on those non-easy throws, those difficult throws. But so much of that was because it was the Vikings, that offensive line, the 49ers, did such a wonderful job compared to what the Saints did against Everson Griffin and Danell Hunter. They were on the ground quite often. And so Jimmy was able, because he has this tendency to kind of lock in his feet on each read. Like he goes, boom, one, boom, two, boom, three. Mm -hmm. And he was able to get to that third read without even having to move. And I don't know if that's going to be the same case here against this Packers defense, which I think, as we talk about every single week, has individual players who can create disruption. Preston Smith, Darius Smith, Kenny Clark up the middle. You know, they blitz Blake Martinez, a couple other safeties and corners from time and time. But it's um, it's one more, and I just believe in Kyle Shanahan. Like, I believe in this 49ers offense, even if I think Aaron Rodgers is a better individual player and individual quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo is. As a whole, I far more believe in the consistency of the 49ers. When it's all whittled down, our jobs are basically to break these guys down from a fantasy lens. But but as Ian was discussing last week uh, about the whole Garoppolo versus Cousins and who's better and who helps their team more, it's just tough with the Niners because Garoppolo's 6.7 average yards per target doesn't matter at all because that's the Shanahan scheme. Like he schemes guys open for bigger pass to move forward to gain more yards. Uh, and so I think much like the last game, I think they would have uh, not an easy time, yeah. but 
I think they could do it successfully, right? Like, nothing stands out. For me, the big takeaway from that one game, outside of just being completely dominated, was, and I know it's just one player, it may not matter too, too much, but the fact that Brian Belaga was out on Nick Bosa's side, like, that's a big one. The fact that he's going to be back healthy now yeah. to help them out somewhat, at least. Well, I think that game started with a strip sack on Aaron Rodgers in the first drive, and it was yeah. Nick Bosa doing it. Uh, but... It's not like we can talk in definites, as we've mentioned, because these are one-game samples and crazy things can happen. Yeah. And when you have Aaron Rodgers on your team, like we saw last weekend, one player can elevate and make perfect throws against perfect coverage. Mm-hmm. Again, Aaron Rodgers was 6-for-6 six six for over 140 yards and two touchdowns last week um, on throws of 10-plus yards down the field. Like That is when Aaron Rodgers is in his zone, when... He is the one that he can make those plays. It it is even against a pass rush like the 49ers have when D Ford only has to play 20% of the snaps and he's still an impact player. That's something you can't account for and even predict. But I think we wouldn't be doing our jobs correctly if we sat here and said, hey, everything that we watch, we read, we look at, point us in the direction of the Packers. I think it's the opposite. I, I think everything points in the direction of the 49ers. I think everything points in the direction of the 49ers, but much like Russell Wilson, uh, Aaron Rodgers is the X factor, and Aaron Rodgers has a good coach that knows how to put him in position to succeed. Mm-hmm. And that's why kind of like the Packers. Do you really? I, After I, what I just said? Yes, yeah. I, I do. I lean the Packers. Yeah. But but on the 7.5, you lean the Packers. <sighs> just money line, you lean the Packers. I, I mean, I won't be taking the money line. Straight don't, up. Don't hold me accountable for the money line, but I – I do like the Packers. I would take the points. I will take the points. Wow. And I like the Packers to win outright, but I don't have skin in the game on outright. So take that for whatever you want. And don't get mad at me, Packers Twitter, because like I, I've recognized many portions and parts of your team that are positive and mm-hmm. have chances to succeed in this matchup. But this game is so much easier for me to pick than, than the first one, than the Titans-Chiefs. I, I, I think yeah, the I, I think the 49ers win by 10 plus points in this game. Like I don't think it's going to be close. I th- I mean they're expected to score 26 uh, and a quarter yeah. in this game. I would be surprised if they go underneath that line. I really think the Packers have something special planned on offense. Uh, more jumbo packages. What 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 is something? What is I, different? I, Do you know I what it is? Know. I really don't know. 100 plus yards from Tyler Irvin. That's what it is. <laughs> no, it's another 20. <laughs> 25 yards was more than 10, so good job. You actually nailed that. I did nail it. i got to give you credit for that one. Uh, That's going to do it for us. We'll be back here on Monday for a review pod. Ian's going to be back, I think, by that point. If he makes it. I have not spoken to Ian this entire week. I hope he comes back a more mature 26-year-old. It's possible. Vegas can do that to people. He's just Ian. Trust me, you're not missing much. (laughs) He's fine. Uh, Enjoy the games, everyone out there. We'll talk to you all soon on Monday. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.